How you doing, everybody? And welcome to the John Riley Project. And I was going to say happy tax day because this is the day that we're supposed to file our federal income taxes. But I'm renaming this this podcast Unhappy Tax Day. So thanks for joining us here on the live stream. You know, we're live streaming on Facebook and on YouTube. We take your questions and comments, so feel free to type those in. And, you know, we do this podcast every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2 o'clock, and with some exceptions, but generally that's what we do. Um, but today we're going to talk all about taxes. And, you know, this is a chance where some of you can rant or share your feelings and thoughts. And taxation is always an interesting topic. Lots of people have very different opinions. And so we're going to talk about all kinds of things. We're going to talk about crazy taxes that exist and kind of pointing those out. We're going to talk about paying your fair share. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the morality of taxation. And we're going to kind of look at a couple of different categories of taxation, talk about that. And then we're going to kind of do a deep dive on California taxation and share some fun thoughts there. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be all numbers and, and statistics, but we're going to have, you know, some fun with it. There's some fun stories along the way. So, Please, uh, you know, welcome you to join us on the discussion. Um, but uh, hope you all had a great weekend. You know, we had family in town from Texas. They were visiting. So, man, I was busy. Like Friday night, went out to dinner. And then Saturday, we hiked up to the top of Black Mountain, um, you know, the top of Black Mountain in Rancho Peñasquitos. That's a pretty good haul up that hill and lots of loose rock, a little bit, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, for the experienced person, you got to kind of know what you're doing to go up that hill and got a nice view of San Diego from up at the top of Black Mountain, up where all the the radar antennas are. And, and uh, that was cool. And then we came back down and, and went to the Padre game on Saturday night. We had tickets. They were hard as hell to get, but we got tickets on top of the Western Metal Supply Building, right on the very roof. And those tickets were shockingly really good. I mean, we had a great view of the field with the exception of the left field corner and the the, there's only, what, maybe about 15,000 people in the stadium because of the COVID rules. So there was no lines to go to the bathroom. I walked down to the fifth floor of the Western Metal Supply Building, which is like a bar that's usually jam-packed. And you've got to muscle your way through to get to the up to the bar. I just walked right up to the front. There were only a few customers in this huge room, just a couple of us. And, um, you know, uh, what's the name of the company? Is it Cutwater? You know, it's one of the big... Um, sponsors of the Padres. So I had like a cut water gin and tonic in a can, which was kind of cool and had that at the ball game when the tri-tip nachos from the Seaside Market Cafe or the Seaside Market in Cardiff by the Sea. They've got a set up there at Petco. So we had the tri-tip nachos, which were just delicious. And the Padres ended up romping and beat the Cardinals 13 to three with basically Manny Machado and almost a triple A lineup. Uh, but we had a great time, and and the Padres won, and they ended up sweeping the series. And so, you know, our guests were wonderful, and we enjoyed having them, but they didn't leave until Sunday evening. And so, you know, now it's Monday, and I'm kind of getting myself reset. But I always look forward to talking to you here on the podcast, and as we do every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2. So I hope you all had a great weekend. Okay, so we're going to basically kind of talk, rant, comment. You know, this is all about a chance to talk about taxation. And I welcome your thoughts and comments on the live stream on Facebook and, and on YouTube. Just type them in. Um, you know, we're going to just 
share your thoughts and feelings because taxation is a hot topic, right? You know, it's part of Joe Biden's got proposals on the table and, and people get really hot and bothered about what tax rates should be and how much certain people should be taxed. And so we're going to kind of go through a lot of that and have a little bit of fun with it. But I wanted to start off here and talk about crazy taxes. Now, you know, it's easy to talk about federal income tax or state income tax or corporate tax, but it's insane how many crazy taxes exist, taxes that you and I are often not even aware of that are kind of baked in to the prices that we pay for goods and services. So here's a good one. So in the state of Kansas, there is a special tax on balloons. So let's say, for example, if you're in Texas, excuse me, in Kansas, and you're at some kind of an amusement park and you're allowed to kind of get up um, into a, you know, a a hot air balloon and they've got a basket. And let's just for the sake of discussion, assume that it's tethered to the ground. So you only go up so high Um, and that they would classify it as an amusement park ride. And there's a tax for that. But if it's not tethered, then it's used for transportation. That same balloon and that same basket is now tax exempt because it's um, because it's, you know, transportation Um, in New York, in the state of New York. Do you know that they tax bagels if you cut them or if someone cuts them? So, you know, New York, they always take pride in having the best bagels in the nation, which is great. But an uncut bagel is tax exempt. But the state adds an eight cent tax to any bagel that's been altered. So someone cuts it or puts cream cheese or locks or any kind of um, item on top of that, um, on top of that bagel, eight cents for every one of those, something. And the state of California, which, you know, we're loaded with taxes and we're going to go through a little bit of a list here in a moment. But you would think in the state of California of all states, they would be encouraging people to eat healthy Right. And and to avoid, you know, snacks like candy bars, because they usually like to put sin taxes on eating things that people consider unhealthy. But if you are going to buy fruit, let's say from a uh, the grocery store, you can buy an apple or an orange. It's not taxable. okay? which is great. But if you are using a vending machine and that vending machine happens to be selling fruit, but it happens to be packaged, maybe there are apples and the apples are sliced, for example, or you want to buy a fruit salad. We talked to uh, Mike Ryan, you know, who works over as one of the managers over here at the Albertsons and Rancho Bernardo. They prepare all of this cut fruit. Um, Apparently that fruit, if it's cut like that, 33 percent taxation on having prepared fruit. But if you get the raw fruit, it's not taxed at all. It's like, what the hell? So, and again, that's sort of baked into the cost of the goods you pay. 33%. I mean, what's the, what's the sales tax rate? I think in, in Poway where I live, I think it's seven and three quarters. I think other parts of the, of the county, it's as high as, as uh, 8% or more. In Illinois, there's a candy tax So if you're buying, let's say, for example, M&Ms, well, there's a 5% tax on M&Ms. Now, you may not see it at the cash register. It's often baked in to the retail price of those M&Ms. But if you're buying a candy that has flour in it, like, for example, a Kit Kat bar, right? So there's a lot of flour that's used to create that. Well, then you don't pay any candy tax at all because it contains flour. It's all these inconsistent rules. And it's just, 
insane. It's like, does Kit Kat have a lobby? And what are they doing to be able to avoid taxes like that? So, or frankly, look at it the other way. Why is M and why are M and M's taxed at five percent? Even though we buy M and M's at the cash register, it may not show a sales tax because it's a food item. But the company, in this case, what is it? M and M Mars. They're the ones that are taxed, but they just bake it into the cost of their goods and they pass it on down the supply chain or the food chain, the food through the food chain. Um, actually through the supply chain chain and the distributors and the retailers you know end up paying it and then ultimately we as consumers are the one that ends up paying it but here's a clever one did you know that in the you know a lot of states there's a handful of states that have no income tax right what are those states there's like florida texas alaska nevada wyoming and who else doesn't have a state sales tax? There's a few more, I think. I think there's like six or seven of them. Well, New Mexico does have a state sales tax. But you know, if you are 100 years old, if you live to be 100, you suddenly become exempt from state income tax. So yeah, so if you've got if you got a job, you're working 40 hours a week and you're 100 years old, well, you don't have to pay state income tax. Or I guess if you're still collecting um, some kind of a distribution from your retirement funds at the age of 100. Well, then you must have racked up a pretty nice nest egg. Well, then you aren't paying taxes on that. So, but really, I mean, how many people live to 100? Now, the good news is, is people are going to be living longer and longer as they already have been for decades. And that's going to keep going up as, as um, you know, science and technology improves. But that's kind of a weird one, right? So like if you're 99, you pay taxes in New Mexico. If you're 100, you don't. So it's like age discrimination, right? Um, so again, that's what we see in a lot of these bizarre taxes is there these special carve outs for special favors for special people. And the politicians use it as, as a way to muscle the system or to gain more power for themselves. Or in this case, look like they're being uh, good guys by giving people over 100 a tax break. But it's really, frankly, a form of age discrimination. How about this? In Arkansas... If you get a tattoo, a body piercing, or electrolysis, there is a special 6% tax on top of that. And then in Texas, you know, you can go buy a belt um, or a belt with a traditional belt buckle. Um, you know, there's no special tax for that other than a sales tax. But if you go out and buy a, you know, a belt buckle, like a, like a Texas cowboy belt buckle, they have a special tax just for belt buckles in Texas. I mean, this is stupid. Um, oh, and yeah, Texas is one of those state those states that are um, exempt from income taxes, but that's crazy. Um, and then here in, in in the state of Maine, which apparently is the blueberry capital of the United States, I didn't realize this, but about they say if you're eating um, or if you buy wild blueberries, there's a 99 percent chance that they come from the state of Maine. Well, um, what's interesting is is that. If you buy blueberries, the state taxes you at the rate of one and a half cents per pound. That's insane. So um, imagine if you are a, um, you know, you sell cranberries or you, you, you um, or you harvest, yeah, cranberries or, or strawberries. Well, there is no special tax for that, but just for blueberries, 
there's a one and a half percent tax on that, or actually, excuse me, one and a half cents per pound. So just bizarre stuff. I mean, the state of West Virginia will tax you on the 4th of July. Um, if you sell um, any kinds of sparklers or novelties, there's Pat Johnson that says Alabama has a 10 cent tax on every deck of cards sold. You know, that was, that was like one of the next ones on my list, Pat. This is a great one. And it says here, um, gambling, um, it's a little bit of a contrast between Nevada and Alabama. Gambling is legal in Nevada. So it's no surprise that the state uses cards as a small incentive to file taxes. The state of Nevada will actually give out a free deck of cards when a tax return is filed. I had no idea that was true. Um, but that must make gamblers from Alabama je- jealous since the state has a 10% tax on card decks with 54 cards or less. So I guess that would be 52 cards plus a joke, plus two jokers. That's insane. I mean, what what is that? Like a, a morality tax? People think if you buy cards, you must be gambling and gambling's a sin. Um, but... If if that were the case, I mean, if I were a manufacturer of cards, I I would probably just put a 55th card in there and make it exempt from taxation. But yeah, a 10% tax on card decks in Alabama. And then in Colorado, um, they have this deal called non-essential food packaging. So that is taxable. So imagine you get a cup of coffee and that cup of coffee at Starbucks and it and that cup itself is not taxable because it's an essential um it's an essentially a, an essential what's the word packaging for that that coffee but if you let's say you're walking down the street or you're taking your coffee in your car and you're driving it so you want to get a lid to put on the coffee so it doesn't spill the lid is taxable at 2.9% um because it's not considered essential. So it's just stupid, all of these crazy taxes that exist. Um, you know, here's another one. And they call this the jock tax. And this, this, I remember when the law changed on this in the early 90s. So it used to be that if you were, let's just say, a, a player for um, a football player, let's just say you played for the Miami Heat and you were in the state of Florida, you didn't have a state income tax. And if you played in other states, well, you were still paying, uh, you were still a resident of Florida and therefore were exempt of state sales tax. Well, now, if you are a, a player, let's say for the Miami Heat, or imagine in the 1990s, you were Michael Jordan playing for the Chicago Bulls, and you come to, to California to play the Golden State Warriors or the LA Lakers or the LA Clippers, and that's 182nd of a season because there's 82 games. Well, you have to pay a fractional amount of the California state sales tax for every game you play in the state of California. I mean, just California will get you either way you're going. So that's a, a crazy one. And then here, this one's not in the United States, but you know that there's some people thinking about it. And it's a cow fart tax, a cow flatulent tax, because it's all part of, you know, the, you know, green energy and reducing carbon footprints. And they've identified cattle or cows, which, by the way, my son told me a cow is a female and the bull is a male. So what's the overarching term for the species? Is it cattle? Um, but it, sometimes people say cow either way, right? Well, apparently in um, 
in Ireland, they charge $18 per cow to farmers. And in, da- in uh, Denmark, Danish farmers are charged $110 per cow because they fart. <laughs> so I don't know if that's going to be coming to uh, the United States or may- imagine if it came to California. You know, you're driving up Highway 5, you're up by Colinga, by the Harris Ranch, you ever driven by there? And boy, you can smell those uh, that, that cattle a mile away. I remember one time I was on a road trip in my EV and I had made it down to Colinga and I was tired and it was late. And so I decided just to crash and get a hotel room there. And they had like a, I think it was a Motel 6 or maybe it was a Best Western. It was kind of just a traveler hotel and they'd done some really nice upgrades. And I got into my room and I was really impressed with the room. And I remember I closed the drapes because I didn't have to be anywhere in in a hurry the next day. I said, I'm just going to try to sleep in as long as I could. And I did. I woke up, you know, like eight or nine, opened up the drapes, bright sunlight, looked like a great day, packed up my gear and walked out the door and opened the door. And oh, my God, was the stink just awful Um, in Colinga, California, right near the five. Um, Yeah, I'm surprised the Democrats in California haven't come up with a way to tax the cows for cow farts. Um, So, you know, it's fun. I mean, you can go on Google and and research all of these, but there's all kinds of cases of just crazy taxes. And some of them are state taxes. There's local government has their own crazy taxes. I mean, local government has their own crazy rules. Um, But I think this is fun to talk about on National Tax Day. Now, normally, of course, National Tax Day is on April 15th, right? But it was moved or is postponed till May 17th, partly because of COVID. Um, so it's interesting. You know, we, we end up having to file an extension because I got a paycheck protection program, PPP loan for my small business, and I applied for forgiveness. And I should be forgiven the way the program works, but they're not going to notify me. I'm like, well, first of all, I wasn't allowed to file for forgiveness till around the beginning of April. And I ended up filing for forgiveness, like in the middle of April. Well, they won't let me know if it's forgiven or not for like 60 days. But my CPA tells me we've got to know whether it's forgiven or not, because that has an impact on my business taxes. And I own a small S corporation. And then that money, of course, flows into our personal taxes. So anyways, the whole thing for us, we're on a um, an extension, which I know we don't like that. We kind of like getting it wrapped up early. I don't know how you feel about this whole tax process. Every year, especially as a small business owner, we get closer and closer to April 15th. And I'm always kind of holding my breath, aren't you? Um, you know, especially if your situation is complicated, if you own property or have money saved for retirement, or if you own a small business, especially, you know, it, it's to some degree, it's kind of like a black box, you know, where you you throw all the numbers in and then you have to hire a CPA to calculate it for you because it's too complicated for most regular people to do or it's too time consuming. And and besides the CPA know all the tricks to try to help you save money. Well, when you come out the other end of that, you're sometimes you're just not sure. Do I owe? Am I going to get money back? Or what is it? You know, so I know I always kind of hold my breath during this period of time. It's always very uncomfortable. Um, but you know, taxation is something we all have to deal with, right? And they say, what are the two guarantees in life, right? Death and taxes. Um, and, you know, the thing we always hear 
from everyone is you got to pay your fair share. Everyone needs to pay their fair share in taxes, right? You hear that from, especially from the progressives, from Bernie Sanders, from Elizabeth Warren. And really since Uncle Joe has been president, you know, he's been really kind of moving to the left. He's becoming more of a lefty, more of a progressive than he traditionally has been when he was a senator or even as a vice president. Um, but at any rate, you know, he you hear him talking about that fair share rhetoric. But what is fair share? You ever notice that they never define it? I mean, well, think about it. What is fair? I mean, what is the fair tax rate? I mean, that's completely subjective. Um, one could say fair is that everyone pays the same rate. It should be a flat tax. Other people say fair is the rich should pay more because they could afford it. And that's fair. Other people think fair is there should be no taxation at all because taxation is theft. Other people think, well, what's fair? Well, it's it's completely subjective. And then what's your fair share? Well, I mean, what is your share? Isn't your share based on how much of the federal government services you use? So if you are you know, if you are taking advantage of a wide range of government services, doesn't that mean that you should pay a higher share of income taxes? I mean, if you were if this was on a pay per use basis, that's how it would be. You would pay your appropriate share, just like when you go to Target or Walmart or Costco. You pay for your share of the products that you buy. Um, so whenever I hear these politicians invoke this notion of fair share, I'm always like, well, what in the hell is that? And it's it's almost like it's purposely undefined, you know, so they can use it as a political weapon um, because people in their mind will pretend what it should be. And they people naturally assume that some people are not paying their fair share, but they never look at themselves and never ask themselves, am I paying their my fair share? Everyone assumes that they're either A, paying their fair share or B, paying way the hell too much. Um, it's rare that someone will ever feel that they are undertaxed. And even if they do believe they're undertaxed, like Warren Buffett's so-called claims he's undertaxed, do you think he would you know, cut an extra check for a million dollars to the federal government to kind of kick it up to what he believes the fair share would be? I'm sure that rarely ever happens with most rich people. I mean, rich people are rich because they know how to play the game, right? So, um, you know, talking about fair share, I mean, here's a fun story. And, and this is kind of a, a parable, I guess. So, and this is a fun read. So this is the tax system explained with beer. <laughs> so suppose that every day 10 men go out for beer and the bill for all 10 of them comes to $100. If they paid their bill the way we pay our taxes – it would go something like this. The first four men who are the poorest would pay nothing for their beer. The fifth man would pay a dollar. The sixth would pay $3 for his share of the beer. The seventh would pay $7. The eighth man would pay 12. The ninth man would pay $18 for the beer. And the 10th man, the richest guy would pay $59 for the beer. And that's what they decided to do, right? They decided to pay for beer kind of the way progressive taxes are set up. Well, the 10 men went to the bar every day and they were really happy with this arrangement. They, they bought beer. They drank beer at the bar. They had a really fun time. And then all of a sudden the owner said, you know what, man, I love you guys. You're some of my best customers. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a discount. So for your group, rather than spending $100 a day on beer, 
I'm going to give you a $20 discount. Now, as a group, you only need to pay $80 for the beer. And immediately everyone's like, hooray, yes, we're going to get discounts on beer. But they, the men were trying to figure out, okay, well then what are we going to pay? Well, they still wanted to pay their ta- their beer kind of like the way we pay taxes, right? They wanted to pay for the beer in this progressive system so the poorest guy doesn't have to pay and the rich guy has to pay his quote unquote fair share, right? So they um, – they, but they still wanted to make sure that some guys could drink for free. So what did they do? I mean, how could they divide this $20 windfall um, so that everyone would get their fair share? And so they realized that $20 for the you know the 10 guys are, are actually divided by six. Remember, the first four guys don't pay at all, right? Because they're poor. So the six guys that do pay, that if you were to take that $20 and divide it by six, it'd be $3.33 um, off for each of them. But if they subtracted that from every person, then the fifth man and the sixth man would actually get paid money to drink the beer. And they couldn't do that. So the bar owner suggested that it would be fair to reduce each man's bill by a higher percentage um, the poor he was to follow the principle of the tax system they've been using. So they worked it out like this. They said, okay, the first four guys still don't have to pay. But now that we're getting this discount on beer, the fifth guy um, who um, was uh, previously paying uh, paying a, a dollar, um, now he pays nothing. Um, now, the sixth guy went, had his price reduced from $3 to $2. The seventh guy went from 7 to $5. The eighth guy went from a 12 to a $9 savings. The ninth guy went from 18 to $14 savings. And the tenth guy saved $10, went from 59 to $49 for the beer. And all told, it added up to 80 bucks and all 10 guys got to drink for free. And they were like, okay, yippee, this is great. Well, each of the six were better off than they were before and the first four continued to to, um, drink for free. But then the sixth guy said, he goes, wait a minute, I only got a dollar discount on beer. My price went from three to two. But the rich man, that 10th man, he got a $10 discount. I only got a dollar. Why does he get a $10 discount? That's not fair. And he goes, yeah, that's not right. And, and then another guy said, you know, he got 10 times more benefit than me. This isn't right. And the seventh guy said, yeah, that's true. You know, why should he get $10 back when I only got two? The wealthy, they get all the breaks. All the rich guys, they get all the breaks. Wait a minute. The first four uh, men in unison, they said, we didn't get anything at all. You know, because they weren't paying anything, right? So when they got a discount on the tax cut or the the price on beer went down, they didn't get any uh, cut at all of it. And they go, "That's not fair. This system exploits the poor." Um, and then the the ninth um, man, uh, so they they all surrounded the, the the nine of them. They said, "This isn't right." And the nine guys ganged up on the rich guy and beat him the hell up because he was exploiting the poor. He was getting too much of a break, and it wasn't fair. And so the the next night, um, they all show up for drinks and they're looking around and the 10th guy, he didn't show up. So the nine guys are sitting around the table and they had their beers. But when it came time to pay the bill, they discovered something really important. They didn't have enough money between all of them for even half of the bill. Even the, the first nine guys, based on that price list, they didn't even have enough for that. And that, boys and girls, journalists and government ministers, is how our tax system works. The people who already pay the highest taxes will naturally get the most benefit from a tax reduction. 
He, you know, and that's true. I mean, that's a lot of times I hear people complain. Why, why do the rich get all the tax cuts? Well, it's because they pay the most. The, our tax system is progressive. That's the mathematics of it. So the people that pay the most are obviously going to get the most in tax cuts. If you're going to, you know, basically unwind a progressive system, that makes logical sense. It's just math. Um, and if you tax them too much for being wealthy, they may not show up anymore, just like the 10th guy didn't show up for beers. Um, and yeah, they might start drinking overseas where the, the beer is cheaper. But yeah, it's just kind of a funny, you know, little story about paying your fair share. I mean, what is what is your fair share in taxes? I mean, again, when any anytime anyone ever brings that up, I always say, please define that. And then sometimes people will say, well, you know, whatever our politicians decide, because they're rightfully elected in a democracy. And so, um, you know, our fair share is, you know, I'm paying my fair share because that's what the law is. I said, well, do you think the rich are paying their fair share? Because that's usually everyone says they aren't. And then usually you'll get a little him and and ha and they'll, they'll say, well, uh, I don't I'm not really judging anyone else. I'm just focusing on myself. Um, but, you know, Joe Biden is putting forward his own tax proposal because he wants to pay a ton of money for all these new programs and he wants to increase taxes. And we've got a couple of comments here on the live stream. Mike Polite says it doesn't hurt that the rich can afford tax planners Though tax planner through tax planners, they get access to credits and deductions the others aren't even aware of, but would otherwise qualify for. That's true. But think of it this way, Mike. The system for taxation is insane complex. You know, there is like 70,000 pages in the tax code. If it was just what rate do you pay? I mean, that could be done on one piece of paper. But they have 70,000 pages of tax code, which with special deductions and loopholes and carve outs and tax shelters for all these different special interests. And sometimes it's for special interests of the rich or special interests in corporate America or special interests for the mid class, middle class, and even special carve outs on taxation for the poor because the poor pay essentially no federal income tax. So the whole tax code, in my opinion, is the exact opposite of equality under the law. We're not all essentially being judged equally because that tax code gives certain people certain breaks, you know, like we just went through it. Blueberry farmers have to pay a higher tax on their goods than strawberry farmers do in the state of Maine. And we can go down that list. And and it is crazy that, you know, if you have a any sort of a complicated financial situation where you own a home, you have retirement accounts, maybe you own a small business. It's, it's insane that you have to pay someone to figure out how much you need to pay to the government. So, but yeah, you've got to play the game. And if you don't play the game, you get steamrolled. And to your point, Mike, yeah, people may not know they qualify for certain tax rates. I just think the whole system is a cluster and it should be blown up because it's completely distorted. It treats, it treats people, frankly, unfairly. I mean, this whole notion of pay your fair share, it's... The way to get people to pay their fair share is to unwind the tax code, not to make it more and more complicated. Um, but to, to go further with this, um, you know, Biden was saying he wants to not tax anyone making more than $400,000 a year, which, by the way, that turned out to be a lie. And he ended up having to backpedal from that um, because it's now families that make over $400,000 a year. 
And you might think, oh my God, that is insane rich, right? And for a lot of people, that does sound crazy rich. But in the state of California, that's not as rich as you think. Um, I mean, obviously, those are very high paying jobs if you have a household income over 400000 But it's not so unusual in the state of California. There's a lot of people that you would think would be middle class or upper middle class that this is going to affect um, for sure. Uh, but there's also this, you know, rent. Uh, you know, people wanting or Biden wanting to tax corporations. We need to make the corporations pay their fair share. And they always point to Amazon, right? They don't pay taxes, but Amazon does pay taxes. Amazon pays over a billion dollars a year in taxes, even when they were paying nothing in federal income taxes. And when they were paying nothing on federal income taxes, that was because of one of two reasons. Reason one was because on previous years, they had lost money. So they were able to offset the loss against the profit. And the second reason is, is that because they took some of their profits and reinvested them into the business, which is a good thing. They ended up buying more facilities, hiring more people, buying new equipment, capital investments, which ended up being used to buy um, equipment and and technology from all these other companies. The The money cascaded through the system. And they were reinvesting in their company where 10 years ago, companies were sitting on piles of cash. And they were being criticized for not reinvesting in their business. Now they are. And now suddenly they're being criticized again. But the thing that we have to always remember is, is that corporations don't pay taxes. People pay taxes. So it's, I mean, think about it. When there's a company up there on the top of the hill and you look at this company with their big corporate logo, we're going to make those guys pay their fair share, make that corporation pay. But really who pays? I mean, where does that corporation get their money? to pay any sort of tax in the first place. Well, the money comes from you and me as customers. When we're buying products and services from them, that's their inbound cash. That's their revenue. That's where they get the money to pay the taxes. So as consumers, the buyers of their products and services, we ultimately pay their tax. But then you might say, well, that's not completely true because what about, you know, the shareholders in that company and everyone else? Well, well, who else gets squeezed when the company has to pay Taxes. Well, when the company pays taxes, that's left money left over, less money left over to pay employees more. So the employees indirectly are taxed when corporations are taxed. And when corporate taxes go up, employees indirectly are taxed because there's less money to go around for them. And then you might think, well, those evil shareholders, they're the ones that should be paying the tax. Well, yeah, but you're as a shareholder. Your income from the company typically rolls into your personal tax return. So if those folks are being taxed at the corporate rate, that actually may end up being cheaper than just letting them pay their personal income tax. So, you know, the corporate rate was what reduced, I think, 22%. You know, Biden wants to make it like 40 something percent in the low 40s. Or maybe that's the capital gains tax he wants to raise. I can't remember which one he wanted up in the 40s. That was probably capital gains. But I think he wants to bring the corporate rate back up to 28. But for some of the uber rich, that's probably a good deal because they don't want their personal income taxes to go up. They'd rather just see the corporate income tax go up. Well, at any rate, it, it's it's nuts. And here's a couple of interesting you know angles on this. I mean, first of all, 
what what about the morality of taxation? You know, we say everyone needs to pay, right? It's like death and taxes. You can't avoid it. Well, you know, this podcast is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And that comes from the Declaration of Independence, right? These are our inalienable rights, or some would say our individual rights, our, our natural rights, our human rights, that we have a right to our own, our own life, and we have a right to make choices about our life and how to manage our life. And, you know, we have free will and we can make choices. And then finally, we have a right to pursue our own happiness, to essentially live our life according to our values. Well, in the Declaration of Independence, it says that a government is instituted to secure those rights, to protect those rights. So what does that mean? I mean, that means, well, if if someone murders someone, well, there needs to be some kind of a agency to hold the murderer to account for violating the rights of someone else. Or if someone steals or rapes or assaults or a business commits fraud or, you know, if there's any sort of a violation of someone else's rights where they are materially harmed in some way. Well, the role of the government is to provide a judicial system to hold those people to account and to punish them for violating the rights of other people. That makes a great deal of sense. And so then you have to say, well, in order to have that, you need a government and you're going to need to have some form of of a a method to generate revenue to pay for them. And, you know, taxation is one of those systems, you know, but there's a whole lot of other ways that governments can generate revenue. Um, You know, what is the right way to go about it? You know, I know I'm a big fan of user fees. I'm a big fan of, I think the gas tax, if it's properly created or properly managed, is a is a good is a good a good thing. It's a good system, because when you use the roads that are made by someone else, whether it's by, well, they're always who who builds the roads. The government doesn't build the roads. The government hires contractors who hire people, and the people build the roads. But yeah, okay, you might say the government funds the roads. Well, what's the right way to pay for those? I mean, in my opinion, if you're driving. 50,000 miles a year, you should pay more for the roads than someone that just drives to church on Sundays. You should pay in proportion to usage. You should pay for what you use. The gas tax is kind of sort of that. The gas tax, you kind of sort of pay in proportion to usage. And then semi-trucks that are carrying heavy loads have more wear and tear on the on the roads, sort of, kind of, pay a higher proportion because they get way worse gas mileage. It's not a perfect system. One could say we should charge people by the mile, which is I know something that's being considered. There's privacy issues related to that that's kind of challenging. But and then for, I'll be first to admit it, you know, as an electric vehicle driver, I don't pay a, for gas and therefore I don't pay for gas tax. Although the registration on my car is higher. They add like an extra line item um, I think it's like over a hundred bucks a year on top of my registration fee since I don't pay gas taxes. But something like that, you know, where you're, it's a user fee and you pay for what you use. To me, that makes a great deal of sense. I mean, that's why I think something like Social Security should be an opt-in or opt-out situation. If you want it, you pay for it. And if you don't want it, you don't pay for it. And then you don't get it. Um. But what's the right way to do this? Now, some people will say, we well, can't do user fees on everything. And yeah, granted, some things would be more challenging to implement a user fee model. But what about, what about if you want to stay with a, some form of tax? Some people think we shouldn't ever tax income. 
It'd be better if we had consumption taxes, right? That would be fair. And there's this thing called the fair tax. You've heard that one before, right? The fair tax is essentially to abolish income taxes, abolish Social Security and Medicare payroll taxes, abolish state and local and um, actually federal, state and local income taxes that all be gone. And you would essentially pay a sales tax on the goods that you buy. And they, they have some kind of a mechanism so the poor don't really have to pay a tax and used goods aren't taxable. They kind of have a way to make it so you're not penalizing the poor, which is what people usually jump to. And they say it's a quote unquote fair tax because this, this plan, this proposal is revenue neutral, that it generates the same amount of money as the federal income tax system does. But does that necessarily make it fair? I would argue it's fairer because I think taxing income is just really unfair. Um, it, it doesn't treat people equally under the law. Different people pay different amounts in taxes. People, different people pay different rates depending on how much you earn. I know this is kind of an extreme way to say it, but it's almost like Jim Crow taxation. Different people pay different amounts, different levels, different percentages, rather than having equality under the law. Now, if you were to have a federal income tax, what's the equality under the law way to do it? Well, it'd be a flat tax. And not a flat tax like, well, you could still deduct your home mortgage interest or you could still do this and do that. No, there would be zero loopholes, zero deductions, a flat tax, and just make it as low as possible. To me, that makes sense. To me, that would be fairer, significantly fairer, because the tax code is, um, you know, it's just a, um, a treasure trove of special loopholes and exceptions for special interests, typically the special interests that pay for the lobbyists that influence the, con- uh, the people in Congress and the regulators to implement this in the code. Yuri Boland says that will never happen just like health care. Well, Yuri, what will never happen? A flat tax, a consumption tax like the fair tax. You know, it just seems like we've gotten it. it the taxation system in America is so excessively complicated. And frankly, the people in power love that, right? Because the more complex it is, it's more power for those politicians, more power for them to centrally plan and push one button or pull one lever to give a special favor to this person and penalize that person. It puts all the power in the hands of of the government officials when we have it so excessively complex. And then it creates this, um, it, it, it props up industries like you know, people that are in the business of filing people's taxes for CPAs. I say it's my daughter's a CPA, but it, it, it props up those industries so that, you know, the CPA lobbyists were, are probably wanted to be as complicated as possible because then only they would be the ones that could understand it. So, I know, I, I just find the whole thing is, is nuts. And then on top of it, you end up having to pay for things that you don't want. You know, if you're a pacifist, you're forced to fund war. If you are, let's say, an, a person that's against smoking, you're forced to pay for subsidies for tobacco farmers. If you are a vegetarian, you're forced to pay for subsidies for cattle farmers. That doesn't make any sense. If you know, and there's, you know, if you are 
against corporations, you know, ripping people off, you still have to pay taxes so they can get their corporate welfare. You remember when under both Trump and Biden, when you look at how much the total relief plan is for these COVID packages and then look at how much you actually get, it doesn't add up. I mean, many people got a $1,400 check recently from Biden plus $600 in December under Trump. But, you know, if you added up those $2,000 for all the people that got it, it was only like, I don't know, 25 or 33% of the total package of relief. Where's the rest of the money go? Trump had a $500 billion slush fund that he could hand out to any corporation he wanted. So the system is insane where people are forced to pay for things that they don't want, for people they don't support. And if you don't pay, they penalize you. And if you still don't pay, ask Wesley Snipes, ask Pete Rose. You go to jail. So um, it's nuts. It's nuts. A couple more comments here. Pat Johnson says, if people have the option to opt out of Social Security, I think a large portion would, would, especially the younger generation, and in the long run could create a large burden when they don't save, get old and get old and now needs help to live. Yeah, that's what people always say, right? If Social Security was pro-choice, then a lot of people wouldn't pay for it. Well, you know what? If Social Security was pro-choice, you could teach people to earn dramatically more money by wisely investing that in other parts of the economy. And that not only would benefit them, but it would benefit the economy in general. We'd have more investment cash flowing through the economy. What Right now, what is Social Security? It's not like your money goes into a lockbox like Al Gore talked about. It's not like it goes into an account like in a bank. No, the minute you pay Social Security taxes, that money goes out your wallet and it goes and pays for rich people or excuse me, pays for old people. It's a it's a wealth transfer system. And often you have people that are young and poor paying Social Security tax to pay for the older people, which are often wealthier because a lot of old people have a lot of money because they've you know, real estate and a lot of other things in the world. There's a lot of older people that are collecting Social Security and they believe they're entitled to it, damn it, because it was taken from their check. But it's really a wealth transfer scheme, probably, probably the biggest wealth transfer scheme ever. But if we didn't have Social Security, we would have an opportunity to properly teach people how to be better managers, not only of their money, but of their life. And yeah, some people wouldn't pay. I mean, some people wouldn't invest their money. Some people would go out and blow it. But you know what? That's their, it's us on them. But the rest of us that are responsible, we would have more. And in fact, we might have more that we could donate to people that need it. I know I'm, I'm a big supporter in making Social Security pro-choice because I think the system is a disaster. When you get to like 2034, they're not going to be able to pay their promised benefits. And I know people say, oh, we've heard that over and over again, that Social Security is going to go bankrupt, but it never does. Well, you know, you know who's saying it? It's not Ronald Reagan saying it. It's not some politician saying Social Security is going to go broke. The board of trustees of Social Security are the ones that are saying we will run out of money and will not be able to pay the full benefit starting in the year 2034. 
Medicare is even worse. Medicare is going to run out of money in the latter part of the 2020s where they're not going to be able to pay the full amount. And what the hell is going to happen? The system I've always felt was built on a flawed demographic and, and economic model. And it's going to finally, it's just like when I was in high school, I remember I, I participated in a pyramid. You ever do that? Where you put in 10 bucks and you got to go find two more people to put in 10 bucks. And the money kind of rolls up. If you're one of the first ones in, you do really well. But if you aren't able to get enough people to, to join you in this thing, the whole thing collapses. And Social Security is eventually going to do that. Um, Pat Johnson says, I love the flat tax. Yeah, I think if you have to tax income, it should be flat with no deductions, no loopholes, no shelters, no nothing. And it should be the same percentage for everybody and as low as possible. That's what I would do if I were in charge. Um, but that'll never happen because politicians don't want to give up that power. That will also never happen because, um, you know, especially our friends on the left don't like it because rich people will get a tax break. Because they like it where it's progressive, where they can tax other people at higher rates than themselves. That's the thing is you ever, ever any attempt to normalize a progressive tax system is by nature going to give the rich a tax reduction and in some cases increase the tax of the people on the low end. But if, we're, if we believe in equality under the law, if we believe in treating every man and woman and really any gender under, under the sun the same and having equality, then we, why don't we have an equality of our tax code? But we don't because they purposely want us to be unequal while shrieking about wealth inequality. So then that means that they want to turn the dial up further to increase taxes on the rich to solve the wealth inequality problem. But little do they realize that this tax code is rigged in a way that the rich are going to end up paying a really low tax rate in the first place. Like if you go back into the 1950s, people say, yeah, back in the 1950s, there was a Republican president. It was Dwight Eisenhower. And Dwight Eisenhower had a, what was it? Is it 91 or 92% as the highest rate? You know, and that granted, not 91% of everyone's income, but of, of in that bracket, in the highest bracket, that income was taxed at 91%. And people say, well, that's when America was great because we had a single, uh, a family of four only needed one person to get a job and fund that whole family. And, and we had prosperity. But you know what? No one paid 91%. In fact, if you look at our tax code now, and this is a chart, and I'll, if you're on YouTube, you can maybe see this, but I'll include this um, in the show notes. But roughly speaking, in the 1950s, the top 1% paid an effective tax rate. Excuse me. Um, in the, the mid-40s around, you know, 40 to, to 50%, but excuse me, between 40 and 45%. So in the low 40s. But now I think they pay somewhere like in the mid 30s because, you know, taxes have come down, the tax rates, especially for the rich. But even back then, people didn't pay what, you th what many people think they pay. Now, here's another interesting angle. And Someone said, ta income taxes are a tax on becoming rich. 
So here, do run these numbers and follow me along with this. If you take a, a $1 bill and double it each year, after 20 years, it will compound to a total of $1 million. So on year one, you give yourself a dollar. On year two, you give yourself $2. On year three, you give yourself $4. Year four, you give yourself $8. And the next year, 16. The next year, 32. The next year, 64. If you do that over the course of 20 years, you generate about a million dollars. I, I, when I first heard this, I didn't think it was true. And I did the math and it's true. It's roughly a million dollars. But then if you take that same $1 bill, double it each year, just like in the first example, but then tax it at 35%. So let's say you had a dollar and you double it next year, it's $2 and you tax that $2 at 35%. That means you take away 70, um, excuse me, 70 cents. And so that dollar then becomes a dollar 30 the second year. And then you double that dollar 30 times two is $2 and 60 cents and then subtract 35% and so on and so on. And for 20 years, guess how much you end up with? $24,000. Again, I thought that was amazing. So in the first scenario with no taxation, you take a dollar, double it every year for 20 years, you end up with a million dollars. But in that same scenario, you double, take that dollar, double it every year, but each year you tax it at 35%, you only end up with $24,000. 2.4% of what you should have gotten if there was no taxation. Again, I didn't believe this was true when I first heard this. And I got out of my own Excel spreadsheet and I ran the numbers and it's true. It's unbelievable. Um, and then, you know, there's all kinds of other crazy things. Like, they're, again, they're talking about raising the capital gains tax, right? So what's that? Well, capital gains is like when you make an investment and let's say you bought a home and you bought a home. Let's just, I'll make up some numbers. And we bought a home 20 years ago for about $200,000. And then you sell the home 20 years later for $500,000, not unusual here in the state of California or here in San Diego. That means you bought it for two hundred, you bought, sold it for five hundred, and you you incurred a three hundred thousand dollar capital gain. You have to pay a capital gains tax on that. And today, I think the capital gains tax. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Is it around? 20%, something like that. California also has a capital gains tax on top of it. But what is what it, capital gains taxes essentially penalize the profit you get from an increase in capital, or really the profit you get from an investment. But now Joe Biden wants to increase capital gains taxes. because so we got to make the rich pay their fair share, right? Because they're the ones that have all these stocks, all these investments. They're the ones that are fat cats on Wall Street. Got to tax them, right? Well, where what 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 do people do to incur capital gains tax? They're investing their money. Did you know that in 1997, Bill Clinton lowered the capital gains tax? A Democrat, you know, Biden wants to jack it up, like into the low 40s. Um, President Clinton in 1997, lowered the capital gains tax rate. What happened? 
for four consecutive years after that, revenue skyrocketed. And there were four consecutive years of a budget surplus. And you're thinking, how is that possible? How could you cut taxes yet increase revenue? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, what happened in the late 90s? Do you remember? That's when we had the dot-com and technology was just going crazy. People were getting these really high-paying jobs. I remember back in that era, I was making a lot more money than I was in the early 90s, a hell of a lot more because of the, the, um, the economy was booming. Technology, if you were in the technology space, you earned pretty good money. Um, and as a result, we had all these new companies came forward during that time frame, Google and Facebook and, and eBay. And there's a lot of them that, that failed. But in the end, that's good because we had winners and then some people lost. That's the nature of a competitive environment. But we're way better off now because of what happened in the 1990s. Because then there was a second dot-com dot com boom. And yeah, the bubble did burst in 2000, but it was only short-lived. And we were back on the horse and, and climbing again. And right now, technology is doing great again. But it never would have happened if it wasn't for what happened in the 1990s. That was because Clinton cut capital gains taxes and revenue to the federal government surged because investors were putting money into all of these technology companies. And yeah, some of them won and some of them went out of business. But ultimately, that's a really healthy process. Um, in fact, it said here, like in 1995, there was $8 billion in venture capital that was spent. And it was essentially money that being you know, invested in new, in new firms. $8 billion in 1995 was the investment from venture capital firms. By 1998, the first full year in which the lower capital gains tax rate went, went into effect, venture capital went from $8 billion to $28 billion, more than a threefold increase over 1995 levels. And by 1999, it had doubled yet again. So when the capital gains tax was low, we saw more revenue to the federal government. But on top of it, we saw more money going into companies which resulted in more investment in these companies, more higher paying jobs, more technology being purchased, which helped fuel companies like Cisco that sold a lot of this infrastructure for the digital economy. We saw a surge of money pouring into these companies. And yeah, these investors were looking for a return on their investment, but along the way, we all did better. But yet, Rather than Joe, uh, Joe Biden learning a lesson from one of his predecessors, he's instead jumping on the bandwagon of our friends on the left, our progressive friends that want to increase capital gains because they want the rich to pay their fair share. They can never define it. They never can tell you what technically is fair or what their share is. But in the end, they're going to screw this up. They're going to disincentivize money being invested in America. And instead, that money is going to be invested overseas where it's taxed at a lower rate. And then they're going to get angry again that the money's being offshored. I mean, if you want to encourage investment, you, you make it as easy as possible for people to invest their money. Money goes where it's most welcome. So it's something. Um, let's, I want to talk a little bit here about um, Richard Ryder. You guys know who Richard Ryder is? What a guy. Um, Richard Ryder is... Uh, the, the 
the chairman, I guess, you know, he kind of has his own thing and it's called the San Diego Tax Fighters. Um, Richard Ryder is frequently on the, in the media, a lot of times on KUSI Channel 9. Whenever there's any sort of a tax related issue with state or local taxes or even federal taxes, they'll interview any variety of people that are for a tax increase. But they ever want to interview anyone against a tax increase, it's always usually him. Um, and he's good and he knows his stuff. And he publishes this document. And it's called California versus the other states. And I want to go through some of these examples because the amount of taxation that exists in the state of California is insane. Now, California is a great place to live, right? And you know it's more expensive to live here. And yeah, people earn more money here. But it's stupid how high tax rates are in the state of California. Let's go through this list. And I'll include this link um, in the show notes as well. California, you know, remember Prop 30 in 2012? Uh, That was a big tax increase. You know, it was for the schools, for the children, but really it was for the teachers. Um, Back then in 2012, California had the third worst state income tax rate in the nation. Our 9.3 tax bracket started at under $50,000. So if you earn under $50,000, you paid almost 10% in state taxes. Um, but they, what they wanted to do is they wanted to zing the millionaires and they increased that. And now millionaires pay as high as 13.3% on their tax brackets. Um, and if you include capital gains, California total capital gains, federal and state has the second highest capital gains rates in the world. It's insane. Um, Our income tax rate um, is 21% higher than second place Hawaii, 34% higher than Oregon, and a heck of a lot higher than the rest. I mean, there are seven states that don't have any income tax at all. But California, unquestionably the highest tax state in the nation. Um, California is so bad that the nation's second highest state income tax bracket and the third are in California. So the highest tax bracket is the highest in the nation. The second tax bracket in California is higher than any other state's state income tax. And so is the third tax bracket in California higher than any other state's ta- uh, state tax bracket. I mean, it's crazy. California also has the highest sales tax rate in the United States. Now, let me break this down so we're clear. A, a sales tax... There's a state level and then a county level and then sometimes a city level. So like, for example, the state sales tax in California is 7.25%. In San Diego County, if I got my numbers straight, they add another half a percent. So it's 7.75% is the state sales tax for the county of San Diego. But some cities add a little bit more on top of that. In fact, there are many cities in California, a lot of them in L.A. County, where the state sales tax, the state, the county, and the city levels all added up is over 10% for sales tax. Um, You know, people talk about, we don't want to tax the poor. Well, who pays sales tax? Well, everyone, including the poor. Um, So the sales tax in California, the 72.25% sales tax layer is the highest in the nation. 
And yeah, you could say there's places in Chicago where maybe they have eight or nine or 10 percent, but that's after you add on the county level and the city level. So unbelievable. Um, The California corporate income tax rate of 8.84% is the highest west of Iowa, with the exception of Alaska. So it has California has the seventh highest corporate income tax rate. California has the highest gas pump tax rate at 79.6 cents a gallon. Remember, I did a um, my one of my previous podcasts, we went through the gas tax. If you add up federal tax rates, state tax rates on gas, and all the fees that are taxed, you pay a dollar twenty a gallon in California gas taxes. That's a lot. Now, Grant, remember I said earlier, I, I think a gas tax as a method of funding transportation for I mean specifically for the roads that the people are using makes sense. But that's not how they do it. They ended up taking that money that comes from the gas tax and they put it in the general fund and it just gets mixed up with all the other money. And they end up putting some of it into things that are completely unrelated to transportation. Or if they do put it into transportation, it's something unrelated to the cars. It's the fund for high-speed rail or not. Well, yeah, high-speed rail or in some cases, local trolleys, which, by the way, have really low ridership. You ever seen the San Diego trolley? You look in there, you, you, with the exception of it's like a game at Petco Park or San Diego State, on any average day, you see the trolley go by. Maybe you're at a trolley stop and the, you know, the red and white uh, bar comes down. What percentage of those trolley cars are full? Like 15%, 20%. They did a survey to find out what these people were doing before the trolley. Most of them were previously taking the bus. People in California like driving cars <laughs> and, and, there's wear and tear on the roads for cars. It makes sense to have a high gas tax to pay for that. But what they end up doing is using the gas tax to pay for all kinds of other things. They use it for cap and trade and all these other initiatives that are unrelated to paying for the roads. But at any rate, the point is, is that California is an extraordinarily expensive state when it comes to taxes. Um, California has the 14th highest per capita property taxes, including for commercial, which, by the way, remember, they were trying to increase commercial property taxes in the last election. That failed, thankfully. Um, But this is one of the only categories where we're not in the top 10 worst states for tax rates. So you might think, well, property tax is way too low in California, right? But think about the property tax bill that we get, the check we have to write for property tax. It's a ton of money. I mean, it's a lot. I don't care where you live in. I don't care how expensive your house is because real estate's so expensive. And that's when we've talked a lot about that. Why, why in the hell um, housing is so expensive to either buy real estate or to rent? It's because of these policies that limit construction. But as a result, they are able to keep the tax percentage rate low. But the check we write every year is a ton. Um, California... Has the high uh, has impact fees? You know the building of a you know median single family residence between six and eighteen percent per home. The impact fees can range between thirty two thousand and ninety eight thousand dollars per unit. And what are impact fees? I mean, that's to pay for infrastructure, right? For the sewage system and the electrical system and all that, which makes sense, right? 
They should pay for that. But is it really as much as $98,000 per unit? It makes you wonder if they're being taxed for things that they're not really even using at all. I mean, that's insane. That's really, really high. And this is another reason why property developers are often discouraged from developing because the fees are so high. Now, granted, the market is so insane right now. It doesn't matter what the fees are. People are willing to pay it because it's almost irrational what people are spending on real estate right now. Um, California has a a nasty anti-small business $800 minimum corporate tax rate. That's true. So like I have an S corporation. So, you know, it's two employees in my S corporation. And so the profit that comes from my business flows into my personal tax return as a line item. And so I end up paying whatever my personal tax rate effectively turns out to be. That's the corporate tax rate for my small business. It's, it's clean. I like the way that system works. But I still have to pay an $800 tax to the state of California to hold on to that S corporation. And my business could be losing money. I still have to pay $800 a month to the state of California. I mean, that's particularly onerous on small businesses, on small mom and pop businesses, um, especially when they're coming out of COVID, when they got shut down by the government and the government's still going to charge them $800, whether they made money or not. To me, that's very unjust. Now, people will say, well, you know, California, this is a great place to live. And California, you know, if California was its own nation, we would have, what is it, the fifth highest economy in the world, the sixth highest. You've heard those stats, right? And it's true, you know, because there's so much income being generated. There's so many large companies in California, so many people in California that are so productive that is generating so much revenue for these companies. And that, generally speaking, is a great thing. But California, if you adjust it for cost of living, California ranks lower than all but 13 U.S. states. If you not only factor the GDP per capita, but if you then factor in cost per living, because it's so damn expensive to live here. Housing is crazy expensive, whether you buy or you rent. Gas, we just talked about it, crazy expensive. Taxes, crazy expensive. Electricity rates, crazy expensive. Water rates, crazy expensive compared to other parts of the country. So when someone says, yeah, California is the fifth greatest GDP in the nation, well, yeah, well, what's the cost of living? That's really how it affects the regular man and woman. Um, yeah, according to this other stat, if we, if we, instead of looking at per capita GDP, we consider states' median household income adjusted for cost of living. California ranks 48th out of 50. Only Oregon and Hawaii are worse. California's business tax climate ranks second worst in the nation behind Anchor Clanker, New Jersey, a decline from third worst in in the uh, the previous year. So, yeah, California is a difficult place to do business. There's excessive regulations and permits and taxes. It's no wonder that Elon Musk moved out of California with with uh, Tesla moving more of it to Texas. We saw Hewlett Packard leave California. We've seen a lot of companies move out of California. Even small companies have just had it 
because it's so expensive to live here. It's hard to recruit employees because it's so expensive to be here. Um, And then here's a good one. California driving tickets are incredibly high. Red light camera tickets, $500 in many cases. The next highest state is only $250. And most states are around $100 for a red light camera fee. And yeah, we don't want people running red lights. And those penalties should be severe enough that you feel it. But 500 bucks? I mean, imagine if you're poor, you're living paycheck to paycheck. And suddenly you get, you, you make a mistake. You know, we've all done it driving. We, we have a, a brain fart. We make a mistake. And we might zing through that, that intersection trying to time the yellow light and we screw up and we run the light. I've done that. Maybe you have too. Imagine if you're poor, you're paycheck to paycheck, your minimum wage, maybe you're not working at all. And you get a $500 fine for running a red light. What happens? You can't pay the bill because you got no money. So you don't pay the bill. Then what ends up happening after that? They find, they add fines on top of the fines for late fees. Eventually they impound your car. Now suddenly you can't get to work. So now you've lost you got a $500 ticket that's probably now $650. You've lost your car. You can't pay to get it out of Hawk. Now you can't get to work. You just lost your job. Now you're not making any money. You might have lost your marriage. Maybe you lost your family. All hell breaks loose when these kinds of things happen. These are examples, in my opinion, how the poor get trapped into poverty, often by government policies like this. This is just one example. Um, California has the second highest or second worst state workers' compensation rates in 2018. So workers' comp is insane here. Um, Tax Freedom Day. That's an interesting day on the calendar. I should have looked it up before the podcast. That's the day when so-called all of our taxes are paid. Like if we gave every nickel to the government starting on January 1st, at what day are we free? It's usually, depending on the state, somewhere in April. I think Alaska might be as early as like March 30th. And then the higher tax states like New York can be as high as early May. Now, California is usually in late April. But think about that. What that means is, is that for the average person, 33% of their money, about four months out of the year, goes to pay taxes. And it's not just federal income tax. It's not just state income tax. It's not just permits and fees, but it's, you know, gas taxes and and um, excise taxes and payroll taxes and sin taxes. And I mean, we can go down the list. There's a ton of them. And it's like th- there's this insatiable desire for them to take more of your money. What do they end up using it for? Well, it's for the roads. Well, not really. I mean, the federal income tax, barely any of that goes to roads. And, and honestly, the federal government makes over, you know, they get to make, they don't make the money, they take it. But the federal government takes three and a half trillion a year, if not more. But they, where do they spend it? On these BS wars um, halfway around the world? They spend it on these corporate bailouts? I mean, the biggest portion of it goes to Social Security. But remember, that's just robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's just a Ponzi scheme. That's taking from the young and often the poor and giving that money to the old and often the rich. So 
when you look at how the money is spent, it's, it just becomes even more outrageous. Now, I can keep going on this, but I think you get the point. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how high tax rates are here in the state of California. And people want them to be higher. Uncle Joe wants the federal taxes to be higher, but not on themselves. They want to tax the other guy. That's usually how it always works, right? Don't increase my taxes. Tax those evil people. Tax those other people. Well, if you keep doing that, at some point, it's like that beer analogy. The 10th guy no longer shows up. But on top of it, it's just immoral to tax some people more than others. And and if you now, I'm not I mean, you could make an argument, you know, equality under the law. Maybe we should all pay the same dollar figure. But obviously that's unfeasible. But why not pay the same percentage? That somehow is immoral in the eyes of other people. But no matter how you slice it, it's immoral in someone's eyes, so it's never just, it's never fair. The whole notion of a fair share is a completely made-up idea, made-up concept. It's undefined, on purpose. On purpose. When Bernie Sanders says the rich need to pay their fair share, does he ever tell you what fair really is and what their fair share really is? No, it's just more. And whatever that ended up being, it still won't be enough. Hey, when, if Joe Biden's tax policies are implemented, I guarantee you progressives will still demand they go higher because they're still not paying their fair share because it'll never be achieved on purpose. Because if, if the minute it's achieved, it no longer is a political talking point and it no longer can be used as a weapon. So it'll always be weaponized. So it's something. Now, again, I welcome your thoughts and comments. And by the way, you know, if you're liking this episode, man, give us a thumbs up. Um, that's always helpful. Again, I'm not begging for attention, but, you know, the more uh, thumbs up we get, whether it's on YouTube or on Facebook or, you know, likes or loves or whatever, that's helpful for the algorithm. That means people are enjoying the content. So if you're enjoying the content, give us a thumbs up. Subscribe on our YouTube channel. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, you can follow or subscribe there. That's helpful too. If you really want to help out, one thing I'd love is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on an iPhone right now, or you're maybe you're watching even on YouTube, but you have an iPhone, go on Apple Podcasts and, and leave us a rating and review. If you think we deserve it, leave us five stars. If you think we deserve it, just write a sentence or three sentences. Tell us what you think. If you think this sucks and you don't like it at all, then give us a thumbs down or just tell us how awful it is. Just let us know. The negative feedback is good. Oh, by the way, I have a complaints department. If you're interested, you can go to johnreillyproject.com slash complaints. If you don't like what we're doing, let me know. I, I'm interested in the feedback, um, you know, good, bad, or ugly. Uh, but, you know, I welcome your thoughts and comments. Um, Okay, one more thing I want to get into. I'm not going to go too long on this next one. It's going to be pretty short. But I just want to share something I've been doing in my business that's been really, really helpful. And it's a tool that I discovered. I really should have discovered it a long time ago. And it's called Screaming Frog. (laughs) You're thinking, what the hell is Screaming Frog? And how does a Screaming Frog help your business? Well, let's talk a little bit about search engine optimization for a minute, friends and family. So search engine optimization is something that I'm doing 
right now I'm deep, deep, deep for one of my clients doing this. And it's just fascinating. Um, some of the things I'm learning as I'm going along with this. In order to, you know, get your site to rank highly on Google, I mean, excuse me, on a Google search, right? Um, that's why you'll usually see me make titles for my podcasts with intriguing keywords. That's why I have tax day as the title of this podcast. I think I'm calling it unhappy tax day, but I wanted tax in it because I know tax day is a thing that people search for when they're on Google. And you'll see a lot of times I have these high traffic keywords as part of the title of every one of my episodes. And that, you know, if you have episodes that have that kind of content that people are searching for, you give yourself a shot to rank really high in the Google search results. And there's a lot of things you can do by building more content. That's why people talk about having lots of web pages and blog content and writing content that's going to attract users. And the more content you write of high quality content, as it gets indexed by Google, the better you do, the more people that link to you, your rating goes up and you start appearing on page one for a Google search, which for some businesses is like the Willy Wonka golden ticket. Because let's say you sell furniture in San Diego. When someone types furniture San Diego, you want to rank number one in a Google search, not for the paid ones, but for the organic listings. But how do you do that? Well, this tool that I've been using called Screaming Frog, which is just insane how great it is. It's like a spider. It, it, it go, it's, it's funny why they call it a, it's a spider, but frogs eat spiders, right? But the spider goes and crawls the website. It essentially will go to your website and go to every page on your website and it gathers all the information on your site. And then it comes back to you essentially with like a report card. And it goes into super duper levels of detail and it'll show you on your site where you have broken links, where your links are not redirecting properly, where you have um, um, cases where it's going to a 404 page, which is a dead page on your website. In other cases, it's telling you that you have um, pages that maybe you don't have a page title and you left it off or you didn't include a headline or a sub headline. They call them H1 and H2 headlines. It analyzes every one of your pages and makes sure that you are checking the box on everything that you need to do to give your website a fighting chance for Google to search it and index it properly. And it's te- they're calling this technical SEO, which is different than on-page SEO. On-page SEO is just writing content, having lots of pages for your products and services, blog content, writing tips and tricks and stories and information about the products you sell so you rank highly. That's the on-page SEO. But in the world of technical SEO, which is what this Screaming Frog product exists and where they live, it's just making sure that you're, essentially your website is tuned up. A friend of mine says it's like having an MG, an MG and constantly have to be tuning it up, Right. Remember those cars back in the day? This is a site that's like a, an automated bot that scans every minutia of your website and then comes back into you and tells you where all the holes are, where all the missing puzzle pieces are. Now, if you have a website that's like really a simple website, like a homepage and like a products page, a services page and a contact us page, then this isn't much of help. But I have clients that have over 50,000 pages on their website. 
because they have websites with all their whole product catalog on there. And every product has its own page. And we, we had a third-party developer help build this for us. We had um, uh, one of their subcontractors in India actually built out this whole product database for every product having a description and a and a um, and a SKU number and you know the ability to you know hold a price record having photos for every one of those products having you know the description the headlines the page titles we contracted that out essentially to a team in India that did a pretty damn good job but they had a lot of holes a lot of missing pieces and this screaming frog product tells you how to figure that out and you know how much it costs 149 pounds I still haven't done the conversion on this, um, but it's, I think, what is it? Is it slightly more or slightly less than $149? It's not much at all. And if you, if your company has a website that is even, that is anything above like a novice level website and you want to find out how you're doing, you want to essentially, maybe you contract out your web development to a third party. And you want to kind of score how are they doing. This is a great tool to use. It also will tell you like how many of your images are over 100 kilobytes. You know, because on a website, you want all your images to load quickly. And the speed in which your website loads has an impact on the score that Google gives you, which ultimately impacts how highly you rank in organic search result um, listings. It'll go through it. It measures every single image on your website, tells you how many of them over 100 kilobytes and tells you these are the images you need to reduce in size. And then it tells you these are the images that don't have an alt tag on them, where you need to include a description of that image, which is text that Google uses to crawl your website and to index it and to give your your website a better fighting chance to be successful. So if you want to learn more about it, um, you can send me uh, an, e- an email or a, a go to my webpage, John Riley Project. JohnRileyProject.com. Fill out a contact form and just let me know. If you want me to do a search on your website, I'll do it and I'll send you a report. It's unbelievable how powerful this tool is. Um, I've, I'm just learning so much from it. I really am. And um, I would you know, offer this up as a tip. I, I want to provide more of this in this, web, in, in this podcast, giving people more tips and tricks, way to make their business life better, their personal life better. We talk a lot about... Um, personal development, um, self-development. I've enjoyed that. We've done podcasts on journaling, career strategy, a lot on playing the game, right? You know, to avoid taxation. But I think I want to do more on helping people with their business too. And and I think, so if you get a chance, go to, you can look them up on, on Google. It's called Screaming Frog, kind of a crazy name. The product is not very, not expensive at all. In fact, you can download a free version and if your website has less than 500 pages, it'll scan it for free. For a lot of small businesses, that's great. <laughs> but for large businesses, you got to pay the fee. It's like, like I said, 149 pounds. So I think that means it'd be more than $149. I think less than 200 for sure. Um, so just thought I'd offer that up. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, like I said, yeah, you can visit my website, John Riley Project. You can also, if you want to connect on social media, continue the conversation there. Go to connectwithjohnny.com. 
connectwithjohnny.com. You go there, you get all the links to my Facebook page, my Twitter page, Instagram. You get all the links to all the podcast platforms where we're, where we're uh, broadcasting from. Um, and yeah, you can contact us there. Get on our mailing list if you want. Connectwithjohnny.com. Great little tool for y'all. And um, yeah, so let's, I just want to leave you with one quote. And we're talking about taxes, right? And taxes, taxes suck, right? Who likes paying taxes? Sometimes you get some high and mighty progressives that think, oh, I like paying taxes. It's my patriotic duty. Yeah, it's bullshit. <laughs> no one likes paying taxes. Um, no one likes paying taxes. Because you know you're not really getting... You know, you really know you're not getting your money's worth when you pay taxes. That's the thing is in, in the marketplace, if, if I don't like what I'm getting from a restaurant for lunch, then I don't need to go there again. I can go to some other restaurant. With taxes, you can't. I mean, it's unavoidable. Now, granted, we can move. We can move to another state, but you still got to pay the federal tax. We can move to another country, but you still got to pay where you're there as well. And yeah, people should pay their fair share. People should pay for what they use. But that's not what they use it for. They they end up charging you for things that not only, A, do you not use it, but B, you may find it to be morally objectionable. Where in the market, you don't really have that problem. If a company's doing something you find morally objectionable, you boycott them and you shop from someone else. Can't do that with taxes. Mike Polite, negative $211. So you're getting money back, Mike? 211 good for you. Um, is that federal or state or is that both? You know what they say is that if you're getting money back, that's a bad thing, right? Because that means that the federal government and the state government are essentially getting a tax-free loan from you for the whole year. Um, the goal always should be to get zero back. And, and in, in Mike's case, best of all, you know, if you can't get it to zero, then go slightly negative, then slightly positive. And then write a check at the end of the year. That's playing the game most effectively. But a lot of people, they think of it as the tax refund is sort of like a gift from heaven. But it's their own money (laughs) that the federal government and the state government were holding for over a year. So that's something Mike goes on to say. That's the conversation. That's the conversion of pounds to dollars for Screaming Frog. Oh, so 149 pounds is $211. Okay. Okay. Still, it's so cheap. It would take, I mean, if you have a website, a corporate website with hundreds and hundreds of pages, if not thousands of pages, I told you my client owes, has a uh, website with over 50,000 pages. Imagine a human going through every one of those pages and double checking. Does, do you, you know, a scorecard for every page. Do you have an H1 headline? Do you have an H2 headline? Do you have an image? Is the image of the right size? Do you have an alt tag on the image? Do you have a page title? Do you have a meta description on every page? I mean, on down the list, are, are all of your links working? Or do you have any dead links or redirect links? I mean, it would take, it would be impossible for a human to do it. The Screaming Frog product's all awesome. I'm not, I don't make any money off Screaming Frog. I'm just offering that to you as a way to share the knowledge. Mike Polite goes, no, I, I owe way more. <laughs> I haven't gotten a tax refund in years. Yeah, if you're, if you're a business owner, you probably pay quarterly. I do. I pay quarterly. Um, but it's hard. It's just, it's just difficult. Mike Polite goes on to say, I- I'm going to use Screaming Frog. It looks good. Yeah. It's, it's a really a great product. And I know Mike, you've got your own, um, 
marketing agency, right? Good for you. Um, I've seen some of the ads you're running. I think you're doing a great job. I, mean, I knew you when you were in the auto industry and you've pivoted. I think it's awesome what you're doing. So I wish you nothing but success. Uh, Pete Neal goes on to say, I'm wondering if Calypso's page has any holes in it. Yeah, Pete, I, I, have, your, I have your link. I'll run a, a little scan on it. Let's see what it finds. Because, you know, you, how many pages on your website? You probably got, I don't know, less than 100 for sure. I know you've been loading up your website. You've got so much great content. If you're a Corvette fan, Go to www.calypso-c7pjn.com. But yeah, probably just look up Calypso Corvette on Google. You'll find the Pete Neal's page. Best Corvette website I've ever seen in my life. If you love Corvettes, Pete will tell you everything you need to know about his car. It's great. I love that. I love the enthusiasm, the passion. Love that about you, Pete. All right, let's wrap this up with a quote. Um, this is a quote from uh, Frederick Bastiat, and he is an economist, a uh, very famous economist, uh, often doesn't get a lot of credit, but um, this is a great one. He says, when plunder becomes a way of life for a group of men in a society, over the course of time, they create for themselves a legal system that authorizes it and a moral code that glorifies it. That's great. So that's what essentially what our tax system is. Because remember, you roll the clock back, what, thousand years ago? It was plunder, right? It was, you know, armies would invade another nation and plunder. They would steal all their wealth and bring it back to the king, all the gold and the jewels. And that's how wealth was, you know, essentially exchanged. I mean, there was a little bit of, you know, buying and selling, but not much. It was plunder. They stole it from others. Well, after a while, they were able to turn this in from, they changed it from plunder to tribute. Well, you pay tribute to your king, right? So that's like what they were saying. They, they, when plunder becomes a way of life for a group of men in a society, over a course of time, they create for themselves a legal system that authorizes it. And a moral code that glorifies it. So plunder turn into tribute and tribute turn into taxes. And yeah, there is a legal system that backs up taxation and a moral code that glorifies it. And that's what you hear from our friends on the left when they demand that people pay their fair share. Or when you hear the BS comment that taxation is patriotic. That's the moral code that glorifies it. And that's what we have now. Pete goes on to say, by the way, 2020 was my first full year on Social Security and they grossly overwithheld figures. Interesting. So grossly overwithheld means that you'll grossly get your money back, right, Pete? Hopefully you will. It's your money. Um, but anyway, so we, we ranted about taxes. It's tax day. Today is May 17th. Normally tax day is on April 15th. If you roll the clock back, I think in 2019, on April 15th, I did a podcast where I covered some of these topics, but a lot more. It was called Happy Taxation is Theft Day. <laughs> and it's on YouTube. It's on all the podcasts. It was something I did, yeah, probably six months after I started the podcast. I thought it was a good episode. So check that one out if you if this topic really excites you. Um, but I know I rant about taxes. I think taxes are unfair, immoral, unjust in so many ways. 
But, you know, on a day like today, when people have a tax deadline, it's rightful for me to comment on it, right? And I've got my own platform to comment on it. So damn straight, I'm going to say what I want. But anyways, thanks again for listening. Thanks for watching. This is the John Riley Project. It's episode number 234. Padres won, um, what, five of their last six. They swept the Cardinals. They're starting a series with the Rockies tonight. Go Padres. We'll see you Wednesday at 2 o'clock. See you later, friends. Bye-bye.